morning, everybody, or good afternoon, everybody, whenever it is that you get your podcast fix. My name is Derek Smith, and this is the Truth or Derek Show, or the Truth or Derek Podcast. Call it whatever you want. Come on, throw us a download. Tell your friends. Tell everybody. We're going to have a hoot today like we do every day. Uh, I got a little bit of feedback today, but uh, I told you today's show is jam-packed because we have Franz Borghardt and we have uh, Joshua Schiffer. Uh, you might know both those names from CNN, from, uh, I know Franz is on the radio in Louisiana. Uh, they're both on Court TV all the time. And uh, man, oh man, do we ever have a lot, a lot to get to. But you know, before we get to anything, we got to pay bills. It's a fact of life. You can't eat the steak without, I don't know, you can't eat the steak without buying the steak. And uh, if you're going to buy the steak... You should also head over to www.podstars.net. That is the stake of your podcasting career. And get ready to take it to the next level. Because Podstars is a talented and passionate community that will give you the opportunity to interview top professionals from a variety of industries where they will share their insights and experiences with your audience. Plus, everybody will have access to the exclusive celebrity catalog featuring some of the best in the business, both new and established. I might also add both my guests today are in the Podstars family. Podstars is also free to join. As a member of Podstars, you can choose from the catalog of celebrities to interview on your podcast. If interested, for a small additional monthly fee of only $8.99 a month, you can upgrade to the Community Plan, a completely different and exciting catalog full of some of the best experts and professionals in their fields today as well as access to everybody in the whole Podstars universe. It is a great way to invest in your podcast, as you will be able to save time and money by being able to book guests from one platform with an expansive catalog that is constantly being added to. So why wait? Join www.podstars.net now and start exploring all that they have to offer. You will not want to miss out on this amazing opportunity to elevate your podcasting career and be a part of the exciting community. Nailed it. I know you guys usually see I kind of trip through that one, but uh, I don't know. I'm on fire today. Yes, on fire today. I'm definitely feeling the uh, feeling the podcast vibe. I got a bunch of uh, a bunch of questions as soon as I mentioned that uh, Josh and Franz were coming on. Uh, the questions were pouring out. Uh, there was a couple of things I wanted to get to. Somebody, I think it was my man Johnny in Pittsburgh, sent me over this uh, from when we were talking. You know, I try not to talk too much politics on this because it's not really my bag. But, uh, you know, it's, with all the, the stuff coming up and there's a lot of political nonsense and stuff, there's a story that came out of uh, Wisconsin, Sister Bay, Wisconsin. Now, if you are someone who believes in politics and you believe in all that sort of thing, it, it's things like this would kind of make you think, you know what, why, why, are, why are we doing this? Like, what, whoa, 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 what's going on? Please tell me what's going on. What? 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 So they have a vote. It's a smaller town. I think I don't have the story in front of me, but if I remember correctly, there's like maybe eleven or twelve hundred people in this town, and uh, it's time to vote for mayor. All right. So you know, this is to me this this is an important thing. You know what you you have whether you like politics or not you you have to believe in the system because this is the way uh, you know this is the way cities work towns work you have to have people in charge to you know arrange for you know, just everything and snow removal and garbage and you know just there it's a lot of work again whether you're a big fan of it or not the the system is in place for good reason so assuming you lived in again 
if Sister Bay, Wisconsin, they have two guys there running for mayor. Again, I don't have the story in front of me, but I read it a few times, so it's relatively fresh in my head. That are both running for mayor. Now, the uh, somehow it, the vote comes in and it's tied. And I'm not talking like ten to ten or eleven to eleven. Like it was no joke. Like again, out of this town, I believe that it was like two hundred and fifty-six to two hundred and fifty-six. Which again, you know, for a small town, that's probably a a pretty good uh, a pretty good turnout. And all these people, you know, they obviously believe in the system. They took their time out to go pick who they want to have in charge, and you know. Hopefully your guy wins sort of thing. It comes out to a tie. Now, you would probably think in any situation, you know, if, if the, the presidential election came into a tie, there's, there's obviously some sort of system to, you know, you know, straighten the whole thing out. Well, up in Sister Bay, Wisconsin, they do it old school. They settle it with a roll of the dice. And again, if, if you lived there and you were like this really believer in the system and all that, and it ended up being a tie, you'd probably think, well, the, the the incumbent would get it, or the other guy would get it, or there'd be some sort of of system down. But no, you know, a dice roll or a hopscotch or a game of Monopoly, just anything goes. So, just unbelievable. So, I I don't know the name of the guy that won, but you know, to go through all that to run for mayor to end up in a tie and then roll the dice and hope that I think he got a five and the other guy got a two. No two out of three, no nothing, it's a tie. Now you roll the dice, you get a five-year mayor. So we can only keep our fingers crossed and hope that he's doing a good job because it's definitely one of the strangest stories I've heard this week. Gary from Oklahoma. Now, I have asked him two or three times how he found out about the show because I told you a few weeks ago we got, we got triggered an alert that we got a ton of downloads in Oklahoma. Still don't know why, still don't know how, but... Anyways, you guys are listening, and as always, I give a shout-out to my Oklahoma peeps, the Oklahoma TRD gang. Uh, Gary actually sent in a few things. He sent in um, a question for Josh and Franz, and he also sent in for one for me. Uh, <laughs> it was the, When was the last time I broke the law? Uh, you know, I'm a pretty law-abiding citizen in my older age, but... Obviously, you know, when you're younger, you get up to nonsense and stuff. And there is there is one that sticks out only because the, the, the ramifications from it ended up pretty bad. Now, we had gotten, I don't remember how, it was like a friend of a friend got us uh, tickets and uh, drinks to a Toronto Blue Jay game. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it, takes, it takes a certain skill to be able to navigate an open bar. And although I have that skill now, and probably throughout my 30s, I did not in my 20s, and I sure as hell didn't when I was a teenager. So, you know, six of us, whatever, head down there and do all that. Had a hoot at the at the ball game and all that sort of thing, you know. Well, you know, just a fun night out with the gang, uh, baseball, beers, all this sort of thing. Nothing wrong. And having realized we had a bit too much, uh, there's a there's a log thing. It's called the Skywalk that connects uh, our baseball stadium to the train station. Somehow walking along that, my one of my stupid friends. I mean, I don't want to talk too bad about him because he's since passed away. Uh, spit on a cop. I don't remember if it was by accident or not, but obviously, they, you know, that caused a whole bunch of problems. We all end up uh, uh, getting arrested. I don't. Even, we didn't actually get arrested. It was like cops they take you to the station, but uh, you get. Um, a public drunkenness and like you know, um, hands on an officer or whatever. I I remember, 
the 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 funniest one you've ever seen. I mean, it would be horrifying if it happened to you. But whenever you read stories where they call it a urination altercation, I guess it was the spitting version of that. But we didn't pee on them. It was this was not a urination altercation. But needless to say, we all got uh, we all got tickets where we ultimately had to go to court. Now, being young and uh, bulletproof and all that fun stuff. I for whatever reason I missed the court date. I, I don't remember why. It was just one of those things where it was probably six months away, and I probably thought I wrote it down. But yeah, you guys have to keep in mind we didn't have phones back then. You had to like write this on a piece of paper or on a calendar, and have the wherewithal to like flip your calendar every month. I bet money right now my calendar upstairs is still in October, probably because I liked the picture. It was like one of those uh, kitchen cal. I, you know what? I don't even know what the, the calendar. We usually buy kitchens or like fancy oil paintings. So. Anyways, I ended up missing the court date, and as a result of that, unbeknownst to me, had a bench warrant put on me. So we were coming back from um, a WWE event, you know, obviously wearing my, rocking my Stone Cold, I think it was a Stone Cold shirt, I wasn't wearing my NWO shirt. And going by, a friend of a friend of ours' house had been robbed or something or other. And there was a bunch of police there, so I think, again... Uh, it make me sound like I was a raging alcoholic teenager, but I'm pretty sure we had a lot to drink that day too. Uh, ended up, you know, what the hell's going on here? And then, the, you know, the cops were there and they were like, oh yeah, you know, you've had too much to drink, you know, give them my ID and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden the cop comes back and handcuffs me because he had the car and said, you, there's a bench warrant out for you. And I was like, I was floored because I was like, I, I had no idea again. Like any, you know, teenage kids, like we were punks. We were always up to some nonsense and that sort of thing. But it was like, we weren't out you know, hurting people and stealing stuff and, you know, fingerprints and all that sort of thing. It was just like we were up to nonsense, but, you know, victimless crimes, uh, such as, you know, public drunkenness on the, the connecting to uh, one of uh, one of the guys I get. I think it was the guy that the, the, the friend of mine that I just mentioned that had passed away that spit on the cop. He was actually banned from the stadium and from that walkway for life. Which I, I don't know how you enforce that, or, but uh, yeah, I think years later when I ran into him, he was like, "Yeah, I was going to uh, apply to have that like removed from my record." I was like, "This stupid thing! You got banned from a stadium." Uh, so yeah, they uh, yeah they handcuffed me. Now this was on uh, I guess it was a SmackDown we went to because it was on a Thursday or a Friday, but I believe it was Easter weekend. So I actually I had to go to jail. Uh, well, they straighten this whole thing out, but I guess because I got there on the Thursday or the Friday, you know, motion don't turn well on the weekends. So I actually had to stay in there till the Monday or if the Monday was the holiday, maybe even the Tuesday. And, you know, it was fine because I was like, you know, put in the lightweight section, but I wasn't given the the, the prison outfit. I was in my, my Stone Cold t-shirt. So I obviously took a lot of ribbing from my fellow inmates for that. So if I if I could, uh, you know, again, every episode I always say, you know, I don't want to preach to you guys, but if I'm going to give you some advice, if you have to go to court, even if it's for something stupid, make sure it's written on your calendar or in your phone. I can put things in my phone now. I have a Google calendar that will remind you uh, not to let these uh, little, uh, little molehills become mountains because... Uh, I don't want to say that was a traumatic experience, but it definitely uh, it definitely made me give my head a shake and say, you know what, this guy, you got to be a little bit more responsible than that. So it turns out from drinking at a drinking at a Blue Jays game uh, to uh, spending a couple days in jail just because I was bad at bookkeeping. 
But anyways, paid my fine, which ultimately was my debt to society, and free as a bird after that. Again, very law-abiding, though, for the most part. So I hope that answers your question. Gary from Oklahoma. Now answer mine. How did you guys find out about the show, and why is it getting downloads over there? And what are you guys known for? Is there like a state song? I'm trying to think of some of the other state songs that I know. I know uh, Joshua Schiffer, my... Well, the spirit of Massachusetts is the spirit of America. The spirit of the red, white, and blue. Let's say the spirit of Massachusetts is the spirit of America. The spirit is for you and for me. I don't know if I got that one right again. I'm going off the top. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas, the stars at night are big and bright. Down in the heart of Texas, a fly, eagles fly. Well, that's a sports song, but still, it's the, the pride of Philadelphia anyway. So thank you for that, Gary from Oklahoma. Let me know if uh, you guys have an Oklahoma fight song, and I will be happy to sing it for you. Uh, following up on that, being arrested, it says, as for white lies and cheating, where are you on that? I think they meant cheating, like, in your day-to-day life, not on your partner, because obviously I'm anti-cheating. I'm very happily married. As for white lies and cheating and stuff, I do it all the time. Uh, I know. (laughs) The one that sticks out. Now, see, I was a younger brother. Which meant I, I was I was wailed on growing up, and I always kind of uh, the last one to the table, especially when you're playing games and all that sort of thing. Now, I suck at Monopoly, absolutely terrible. I, I've I've played it a million times. We, I've had the app. We've had it on the PS3 when family comes over. I have the actual board game. Played it when I was younger, and I sort of enjoy it, but I suck at it. So, now don't tell anybody this. Keep it under your hat, but. An old trick I used to do was um, you take like five or six, seven hundred dollars out of the uh, out of the pot ahead of time, and you go stash it in the bathroom somewhere. So if you start to run a little bit low on funds, you pop into the bathroom and you you know we we'll call it borrow from the bank, which yes, technically is against the monopoly rules. However, you know it, it's it, it, a rule of life. If you have some, if, if if you can find some extra money in real life, well, you know, have at it. If you know. That sort of thing. Well, you know who didn't see it that way was my wife, her brother, and I think there was one or two other people there. This is going back years ago, like around the time when we first met. Uh, we went up to her cottage, and I put in my <laughs> my Monopoly insurance in the bathroom. And I don't know if they were just paying attention or I'm just used to pay, playing with people that don't pay attention. But at, at some point, somebody noticed, like, the problem was this game went on for, like, five or six hours, which Monopoly tends to do. Uh, it, it just, it ties in with somebody else sent me that Monopoly story. But, uh, yeah, I guess they were paying attention. They noticed that, oh, my God, I haven't, I don't have any houses built. I don't have any hotels built. I don't have any properties yet. I never run out of money. So, yeah, I guess that eventually came out at two o'clock, two or three o'clock in the morning, The what I was up to. and. Gosh darn it, don't they all still remember it and bring it up till this day? Like, even if we go out, you know, like, I love playing charades or Pictionary. They're like, oh, do you have money hidden in the bathroom? Do you have Pictionary hidden in the bathroom? Do you have, uh, you know, deer in the headlights hidden in the washroom? <laughs> yeah, so I never quite lived that one down. That's the, the one problem about, about being married. Like, my wife is really smart. She has a really good memory. 
But, you know, normally that would be a good thing. But when it comes to uh, when you're having arguments or when a situation like that comes up and they're like, well, do you remember in 2007 when you did this? And I was like, no, but well, the, the Monopoly one I do. But a lot of the other stuff, again, I just have to take her word for it because Oz makes mistakes. Trust me. I remember years ago, again, now I'm a little better at it. Like I don't let um, let stuff sit on the back burner for too long, but. Uh, I I mentioned her cottage. So after we had met for a little while, we decided uh, her cottage was on an island, which I, I would give everybody advice. Do not buy a cottage on an island. It's an absolute nightmare. So they didn't have a boat, but there was like somebody out there you could pay, you know, 40 bucks. They shoot you back and forth and all that thing. And, and that, that system was okay, aside from the fact that that guy was a raging alcoholic. So uh, Not so much that he'd show up drunk, but he was a pretty good boatsman. But, you know, unreliable, hard to get a hold of, that sort of thing. So. We just decided after the first or second summer, you know what, we'll all throw in, buy a boat, and uh, A, do not buy a cottage on an island, and B, do not buy a boat. So all these people say, I'm saving up for a boat, I'm going to get a boat. A boat is a, a, a huge pain in the ass. It's an absolute nightmare. It's just nightmares all around. So we had decided to buy this boat, I don't know, sometime in the spring, where we've had like a couple of months and all that. And in Ontario, you need a boating license. You can't just take a boat out on the water like a Yahoo. And myself, I figured, oh, you know, this will be fine. I'll just, I'll, I'll take the test, you know, whatever. So it comes time, it comes time, and it's like, okay, you know, we're we're picking up the boat on the Friday morning and heading up, uh, you know, to the cottage on the Friday afternoon of a long weekend. So, you know, Thursday afternoon, I'm like, well, you know what? I had better get that boating license. So, again, I'm one of those people that always assumes that I'm smarter than I am because I thought, you know what, they're just going to ask me about, Safety, you know, don't drink and drive and all that sort of thing. As soon as I log on to the boat test, because of like the first question, it just shows me some sign I've never seen before. And they're like, what does this mean? And you had to sign a thing ahead of time saying that, you know, you're not going to cheat. And all that. I had driven a boat before. And you know, like I'm not drunk or being stupid and all that sort of thing. I mean, I'm not, I try not to drive it at night, although I had to a few times. So yeah, as soon as I logged out of the, the boat test, the first question, I just opened up a window beside it. You know, uh, I I don't like to use the word cheated, but let's just say we um we sidestepped the regular testing procedure to uh, attain a good score. I still don't think I got a hundred percent, but ultimately I did get the boating license, and I never killed anybody on the water. So maybe my system works. Maybe you should hide a few bucks in the bathroom in Monopoly. I I don't know. It's it's all over the place. Whether it's the right thing to do and what is the wrong thing to do. Just to go back for a second. And I was glad that uh, Oklahoma Gary and some of the other people were talking about this sort of thing because the whole Monopoly thing tied in with a story somebody sent me. I just heard about this. It happened a little – it wasn't that long ago. It it happened in 2023. Just the headline itself. Monopoly match ends in fight with samurai swords. Too hospitalized. (laughs) A Monopoly match in Belgium turned into a bloodbath. And not in the figurative board sense. And not in the figurative board game sense. After a perturbed neighbor confronted the players with a samurai sword. This fracas had occurred at about 5 a.m. April 2nd, when a group of four gamers was playing the classic strategy game outside on the sidewalk in Forest, Brussels. The noise reportedly awoke the neighbors, because, you know, I guess Monopoly gets loud when you're playing it out on the street in Brussels in the middle of the night. 
Uh, the noise reportedly awoke a neighbor who came outside brandishing a stick at the rowdy players, who may have been homeless, according to uh, the, the news people. This resulted in a heated altercation, which escalated after the neighbor's son emerged from the residence with a katana, in brackets, a curved sword, traditionally used by samurai, uh, <laughs> traditionally used by samurai in feudal Japan. The son got into a tussle with one of the players who tried to grab the katana and remove the holster, police said. When the son tried to get it back, the scabbard became damaged and exposed the blade, slicing both of them. Both men were transported to the hospital with serious injuries, although the Monopoly player was discharged the next day. Meanwhile, the son, who sustained a deep artery cut during the scuffle, remained in the facility in critical condition. This isn't the first time someone has been attacked with a samurai sword in modern times. And it goes on to talk about some of the other ones. But uh, the other guy, as far as I know, did survive. But I don't know how... It's the whole thing. Playing Monopoly in the middle of the night, whether they were homeless or not. The guy comes out with a stick, and then another guy comes out with a sword. And two people, including himself, got stabbed. That's what... You know what? If one of those guys had had a couple of hundred dollars hidden in the bathroom in that house, this whole thing wouldn't have happened. So I, to them, I give you uh, my Monopoly advice. There was one other thing I thought about since we're talking about uh, being law-abiding citizen. Now, nothing wrong with going on Kijiji and buying stuff. Um, I just I had one when I was uh, talking with somebody online about uh, something with video games. Years ago, in, uh, in my house, I have... Uh, again, I'm sorry if my voice is a little bit scratchy. You guys know I'm still a little bit sick. That's why you hear me when I laugh. I'm just taking a pause because I'm coughing at the same time. But, again, we, we always talk about powering through. And if this is the worst thing I have to do today, I'm pretty sure I'll be all right. Um, I went on Kijiji. We have two we have two PS3s at the house because I guess, I can't remember. I bought one it was on sale or whatever. But we have one upstairs and downstairs. And they came out with this game, uh, Civilization Revolution, which you could actually play on your local area. Rebecca loved it. I loved it. So we thought, you know what? We only had one, and it was one of those ones that wasn't in stores. The game's just kind of been discontinued. So I went in Kijiji, and sure enough, there was somebody in uh, Etobicoke. It's like a suburb of Toronto. Uh, ended up having it. So I thought, you know what? Sweet. And he only wanted like 10 bucks or 12 bucks for it. Uh, so I said, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm in that neighborhood, whatever. Thursday, you know what? I'll pop by. I'll shoot you a text when I'm five minutes away. He gives me the address. You know, 25 a, B, C, whatever. And I said, okay, yeah, no problem. I sent him the next day. I'm like, yeah, I'm 10 minutes away. So the address he gave me was like in an alleyway. When, you know, it's the middle of the day. And I'm a bigger guy. I wasn't too worried about somebody coming out and robbing me for my 10 bucks. But sure enough, I pull up to where the address is. Like this, this 10, maybe a 12-year-old kid comes out. He's got the game. I was like, oh, you know, are you Roger? He's like, yeah. So he gives me the game. I give him the money. You know, innocent, no problem. I drive away. And then I thought afterwards, I was like, that felt so wrong. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I was like 30, 35, 36 at the time. A 36-year-old man made a date to exchange video games for money in an alleyway in, <laughs> in a different town. So, uh, yeah, no, we, we had fun talking about that because every time I tell that story, I was like, I sound like a pervert. Even though I'm not, but, you know, I, I can't imagine a situation where you said, I, met, I went and met a kid in an alleyway that I met online. <laughs> In, in a good way. We talked uh, one more thing. I just want to get to one more thing before we get to the main event with Josh and Franz. Uh, last week, I was uh, talking about how much I hate TikTok. A lot of you people are with me, too. 
I would say the the feedback was 80-90% positive on that. Uh, TikTok in general, I can't stand the challenges, and I can't stand the stupidity of a lot of it, and people hanging off buildings, and putting buckets on other people's heads, and getting them to shoplift by accident. It's just the TikTok world to me is a bit of a garbage fire. <laughs> well, I'm sitting here saying Twitter is not. Somebody got back and said, hey, Derek, uh, this was Louie, or Lewis, said, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. These TikTok challenges seem to get dumber and dumber. Whatever happened to normal challenges, like athletic ones? And then asked me if uh, if I had watched that show Pros versus Joes. I actually have. And he said, if you were in a Pros versus Joes challenge situation, which sport do you think you would do best at? I can tell you right now, I don't think it would be any of them. Like Anybody who hasn't played professional sports that says that they can, it's, it's, full of, it's full of shit. I'll tell you right now, like, if you think you could, I remember even when I was younger, because I played baseball, I played hockey, I was terrible at it. So I'll tell you right now, it's like, you know, do you, do you think you could score a goal on an NHL goalie? There is a 0% chance. It's not like if I had the one-on-one and I, I stick, there's a 0% chance that, that I'm scoring on an NHL goalie. So that one for me is out. I would say the baseball one is also out, and I'll tell you why. When I was younger, we had uh, there was this uh, national sports near us, which was wicked. They had batting cages, they had a whole bunch of toys and games, and you could shop there, and the stuff was really cheap. It was just a fun all overall place to hang out. Now, I had played baseball up until the age of about 15 or 16, you know, when you start to get cool and smoke cigarettes and drink under the bleachers. And, and, and I wasn't that great of a baseball player anyways. At 17 or 18, you know, somewhere around there, I go to the batting cages. I'm like, oh, you know what? You know, let, let's have a hoot here. We'll, we'll start off with something slow. I put the machine to like 30 miles an hour, and the ball whizzes by. Whizzes by. Two, three. And, you know, I, you start to make contact with a few of them because the light comes on. You kind of know when it's coming. So just for a hoot, as you start to get some confidence because you're hitting slower balls, you're like, you put it up to like, it wasn't even medium. It's like lower medium. And they start to come out at 50 miles an hour. And you don't even see it. The light comes on and you hear the bang come from behind you. So for that, anybody who says they could hit a ball off of a Major League Baseball player, also, there's zero chance. Because I think a lot of these guys, even a slower pitch goes 70, 80, you know, up to upwards of 90 miles an hour. Like if you actually, it doesn't look like it when you watch it on TV, but if you ever see like a batting cage or something like that where they set it to like even 60 or 70, by the time the ball comes out, it hits the mat behind you. Like it takes some sort of special, special eye or special awareness to be able to hit that. So, and a pros versus Joe's competition, also baseball. No, soccer. I'm not a big soccer guy. I don't think I could play soccer. Uh, I couldn't even when I was younger. That's just a cardio skill that I don't have. Sometimes when you see these guys that run back and forth nonstop for 40 minutes, to me that's just incredible because. Again, that's some sort of superpower. However, the net is big, and uh, the uh, the the striker, I believe that's what it's called, or the goal scorer with his foot, I would imagine is probably my best chance. Because um, that or basketball, maybe. Because you could just kind of fire balls out from the three-point line. Like, I can't see myself, uh, I, I, I'm hoping I'm using this term correctly, driving to the bucket. 
uh, through uh, like a skilled defender, there's zero percent chance. Like if I'm standing on the three point line and somebody fires me the ball and I, I get, you know, a two second advantage to try to throw one up, that there's a one percent chance that I sink that basket. But I'm not driving driving to the bucket through the hole. <laughs> and lastly, there was football. Now, once again, uh, when I was listening to the other one, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, if, if the ball was on the two-yard line and they hand you the ball, do you think you could score a touchdown if you get three shots at it? Again, there's a 0% chance. Like, if you watch, if you look at the size of something, first of all, look at the size of these guys. If you're huge, like if you're like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and you're relatively uh, relatively healthy, and you think that you might be able to, you know, kind of power your way through. Maybe you're in the the, the two sixty two seventy zone. Then maybe there's a small chance. But like I'm six foot tall, two seventy five, and uh, for me to sit and say that I could probably take the ball and like you know go through a defender, there's also a zero percent chance. And if you know anything about football, or if you watch some of the, even the way these guys train, never mind the the way that they play in game, like. These guys, the defense, the defender's job during a run is to like grab you and either smash you to the ground or push you back, and that's assuming that I can try it three times because I would imagine after the first time I'm pretty rough shape. So yes, um, we're just about uh, just about time to get to the main event with Josh and Franz. My name is Derek Smith, as you probably already know. As always, please reach out to me any way you want. Podstars uh, with a Z dot connect at outlook dot com. On Twitter at Derek Vampire Slayer, um, just, it, just Google the Truth or Derek podcast, and a bunch of stuff will come up with me. And there's always there all the messages are open, everything. As always, reach out. Uh, good feedback, bad feedback. You got questions, you got comments. Let me have everything. Again, we're working on a bunch of different stuff. We're going to get a bunch of different contests going. We're all going to have a hoot. I promise you this. There's lots of fun coming in the future. There's lots of awesome guests set up. But uh, who knows? Maybe none more awesome or awesomer than what I have lined up for you okay. now. So without further ado. Well, <laughs> my next two guests need no introduction. You guys love but Joshua. <laughs> I better have an introduction. I came for an introduction. If I don't get an introduction, this is done. I'm cutting it off right now. You know what? This is on me for having two lawyers on at the same time. <laughs> I'm putting on my, my, next two guests, my next two guests desperately need an introduction. You guys love Josh oh. Washer for the last time he was on. Uh, he is not only one of the best legal minds on Court TV, uh, CNN, as well as a number of other media outlets. Uh, he's a blast on Twitter and an overall brilliant legal genius. However, today he didn't come by himself. Uh, you might know our second guest uh, from also appearing uh, everywhere on Court TV, as well as an excellent morning show with Brian Haldane on Talk 107.3. Uh, also a fantastic lawyer and then uh, all around pretty amazing guy. The pride of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the octopus king himself, Franz Borg. Franz, how uh, and are he you? fits in my pocket. He he fits in my pocket. I, wish I, I, I pull him out. Pocket. Yeah, you're so um, dang skinny I, now. I am so excited to be on here because what I love about podcasts is I can say stuff on podcasts that I can't say on national TV or on the radio. Hundred um, percent. I mean, I'm going to keep it PG-13, but but you don't have to. <laughs> 80s PG-13 or 2000s PG-13 because those are two totally different things. 70s, 70s PG-13. The last time no Josh angle. was on, the last time Josh was on, he was telling us hip hop stories from New England when he was younger oh, and going to House of Pain and Rage Against the Machine concerts. So you guys, we can talk about whatever you want. So oh, on man, national we- TV, 
on national TV about two weeks ago, I made the comment to a New Yorker uh, anchor that I was a West Coast rap fan. And I supported <laughs> West Coast over East Coast. And is Atlanta counted as East Coast? All right. So it gets really weird because we're East Coast, but we've got Tupac and he obviously was West Coast. And it gets really ugly. It just, it's messy. It's not clean. Um, but I support, we, we do I support though, Luda. Yeah, yeah. You see, that's the thing is we've got all the Southern sound. We've got the crunk. We've got Luda. We've got T.I. We've got uh, Killer Mike. Um, we And we also have so many of kind of the classics like Jermaine Dupree, guys from way back in the day, Dungeon Crew. Um, so there's a lot of that foundational hip hop that comes out of Atlanta. But there was some of that in a lot of the other big Southern cities. Right. Like you go look at the hip hop universe in Dallas and Houston. Uh, go look at the St. Lunatic universe. A lot of the kind of smaller cities had really unique sounds that didn't get sucked up into the West Coast, East Coast thing, thankfully. Uh, and everybody can kind of enjoy them. But hip hop's definitely the, the theme song and the theme music of living here in Atlanta. Uh, it's been awesome. You can literally run into some of these amazing artists at the, at the grocery store. Like I, it's, it's that kind of city. My my squad goal is I want a selfie with Luda. Uh, dude, he actually, so I do a lot of stuff with Georgia State. In fact, I'm doing a commencement address. Was blown away by that honor um, next week. Oh. And Luda has appeared and they've done actually a whole class on him. There's a really amazing professor named Mo Ivory, who besides being a brilliant lawyer, uh, is now a professor focusing a lot on hip hop. She comes out of the entertainment universe and they teach a class every year, the life of some prominent person. And so like this year it's Rick Ross and previously it's been Luda and it teaches law students in a way that I, I really appreciate experientially. Hey, this is what a client needs. This is what an arts entertainment relationship looks like. Let's talk about how contracts work. Let's talk about the different things that you're gonna be exposed to because law schools traditionally don't teach you anything about how to actually run a practice. Uh, and Atlanta's done a really good job leaning hard into that arts and entertainment community. Uh, we are the Hollywood of the South. Um, tons of cool jobs and projects here focused around entertainment. Sorry, if I could chime in for a second. <laughs> I mean, it's your show. Uh, <laughs> Derek's here? I was going to ask. And that is just bronzing me. Speaking of, uh, well, again, well, we got a lot, to, a lot, of, lot to get to. But speaking of music, um, a lot of this, uh, this young thug trial everywhere right now, and uh, some people that we were talking with were confused. Franz, what is the difference between a RICO trial as opposed to like uh, murder or accessory to murder? So, so a RICO or racketeering charge or statute generally is a massive criminal conspiracy case where there is a crime or a series of crimes that underlie that are, are an element of that racketeering or RICO case. Uh, so you can have a RICO case where the underlying crimes are drugs, murder, all sorts of different things. And it's kind of like the scene from Dark Knight where if you can Prove that what I hate to use Dark Knight as a legal definition, but they did a great <laughs> job with it. Um, if you can prove one co conspirator did one thing and is connected to the crime, 
then you got it for everybody. And so it kind of works out while I'm not even going to pretend to know the music industry as well as my, my brother Joshua does. I am a rap fan. I am, I am an enthusiast. Um, it kind of fits into this theory of these, these musicians normally have large entourages uh, and large crews. And the government likes to say, hmm, when they do criminal activity, that looks a whole lot like a gang. And that looks a whole lot like an organized criminal enterprise, and hence RICO. Yeah, and so there is murder, Derek. Like, that's that's something Franz hit on key. In this YSL game, there are murders in there. In fact, there are murders that have already had convictions flow from them. People have been convicted. But like Franz is saying, the, the RICO in YSL, it's, they've got to prove that YSL is this corrupt organization, racketeering organization. And then they're going to try to attribute crimes to it. And it's an extension of the conspiracy theories where what one does, the others are responsible for. And by showing that there were a bunch of predicate acts that are all connected through this nexus of, hey, well, y'all are all part of this group or organization, then you're committing crimes. Then the logical connection is that group is a criminal organization. So therefore, everybody associated with that criminal organization is guilty of all of the crimes of the organization. And that's been one of the struggles in YSL. Some of these cases are five, seven, 10 years old. The son of testimony yesterday was an undercover buy of a 20 bag of weed. And, and that was it. And, and it was I love like, it. Hold on. You got a seven-year-old 20 bag undercover where he didn't even arrest anybody else there. And now suddenly that's going to get rehashed and reused to prove that they were a criminal gang. But like Franz is saying, man, criminal gang, it's not like there's a handbook. And what is a criminal gang to a prosecutor could be something absolutely innocuous. Um, and if you've got a group that is absolutely innocuous that someone doesn't like, it's pretty easy to call them a gang. I also and like Georgia. That. I also like how Franz quoted uh, the Dark Knight, like uh, Batman v. the Joker. <laughs> of course. It's exactly what it is. It's, we've got it with Cop City as well, where they're, gonna, they're doing Rico against all 60-something people, many of whom never met each other. You know, they were all part of these larger protests, but they're trying to charge and make all of them responsible for all of the actions. And, and doesn't Georgia – now, this is where the expertise of Joshua comes into play – doesn't Georgia have really good RICO laws in terms of we, favoring we, the state? We, we are, much like Louisiana, a traditional conservative southern state. So we've leaned into the power of law enforcement to keep society right. We've empowered them with really strong tools. And that's the big complaint against RICO is it's so broad that a prosecutor could really jam all kinds of organizations. We're talking about your fraternal organizations, your religious groups. You know, a, a, any any group of people that can be kind of defined as, oh, well, that's a group, a, as long as then they can come up with some crimes and allege that they're somehow connected, boom, you're now at RICO. And that then, of course, brings in the idea of domestic terrorism. Georgia has a domestic terrorism statute that uh, is one of the only pathways for the attorney general, a state elected official, to violate the traditional separation of powers and bring cases in the state and superior courts of Georgia, independent. So basically overriding your locally elected district attorneys. 
And that's actually happening right now. The district attorneys have said, we don't want to prosecute this. So the attorney general has come in and said, well, we're going to make it all terrorism. Now, so Derek, the, it's Sorry, this is a great setup for one of my other questions I had. So you're both saying that these RICO trials, basically they're a nightmare to kind of unravel. Now, as a defense attorney, would you like a challenge like that? Like, is your goal kind of to get uh, like an open and shut case? You get in, you get out, you get paid, that sort of thing. Or, you know, Franz, I'll ask you first. If a young thug walks so, through your doors and says, you know, this is what I'm looking at. Is this it's something you'd probably have to dedicate a lot of time and effort? Yeah. To? Yeah. So, so one, yes, I like quick money. I like cases that I can make a couple of phone calls and resolve. Um, these. RICO cases, these are very complex, um, especially if they're federal. Uh, they're very complex, uh, which for me means, candidly, a bigger fee. Um, they're very much clunky, Derek, which is to say that it's it's easier to prove that one person did an armed robbery than to prove some kind of weird, like, tangential connection to an armed robbery and then say that the armed robbery is a part of all they're complicated right and where there's complications there's chaos and where there's chaos there's opportunity for a defense attorney um i think they may have enough to, to convict young thug but i think he also has a very good legal team and even if they get a conviction um I think I'm, I'm stealing Josh's thunder here. There's enough appeals to last a lifetime. Yeah. That is a and, Josh and, quote. Well, and, and, and really, there's another subtext of this trial entirely, which is what was the goal of the district attorney's office? And the goal of the district attorney's office is to turn off what they believe is a societal ill that is bringing a lot of violence and drugs and other stuff uh, to a to a community. So they put together this giant case and it, and it pretty much put a bunch of people on ice. They couldn't do anything. This case was huge, you know, over 20 people um, clogging up the system and all these guys are on ice sitting there in trial uh, or in jail. And what's happened is RICO is so powerful and you see this in almost all RICO cases, it really leans heavily on the people at the bottom and it gives them an inducement to pop the easy, low-line slap and tickle plea and Fonnie Willis's office has done that with a bunch of people from the Young Thug universe. In fact, half the lawyers in the Trump case are involved in the Young Thug case, it feels like, um, including Steve Sadow, former president's lawyer. Um, Steve Sadow represented a prominent member of the YSL universe who entered an Alfred plea for time served probation, but there's allegedly a cooperation issue and just entering that plea caused a whole bunch of problems because of the snitching. So what's happened now is Judge Glanville has a giant trial that is unwieldy, really hard to manage, and is rife and chock full of appellate issues, and he's facing unlimited funded top lawyers. Brian Steele can appeal that case for the next 30 years, and the money ain't going to run out. So what I expect to happen is uh, there's going to be a mistrial about halfway through this trial, that is going to be very thorough and very complete. And that's going to force the state to dismiss the case, which I think they're okay with, because then they can go after all of these individuals using the pleas they've already gotten. And they'll just go indict these guys one at a time and go after them. So it, it ain't over by a long shot, but I don't necessarily see this trial 
getting fully tried, even at four or five witnesses a day. We're talking about a six-month additional amount of time. As a defense attorney, do you look at that as somebody with unlimited money and just in a trial that's that complicated and just say, you know what, let this go on for 30 years because, you know, at the end of the week, it's, you know, uh, checks are being So, so I, I want to believe that the priority is the well-being of your client, ethically, morally. And so you, you want to get your client in the best position as possible because even if it goes on forever, six months, you know, it, 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 there are pros and cons of that, right? So that can also be a practice slayer. Um, because in the meantime, what are you doing with your other cases? If you're in trial yep. for six months, you may have to hire a young associate to, to be your, your hands, legs, and, 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 and eyes and ears so that your practice can financially, it may be fine. But like, what about all the other clients that don't want to be told, hey, I'm not as, as an important as, as young thug? Um, so there, there are pros and cons, right? Um, money, I like money. <laughs> I like money. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's one of those things that you've got to really think about your whole practice before you take a case like this, because Franz is right. It's a practice destroyer if you don't have support and you don't have the organization, because you're going to be sitting in court a minimum of six, eight hours every day for months at a time. And a day in trial is actually add three or four hours sometimes to both sides of that day. A day in trial can be 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. easy. Um, so you, you got to keep your firm running. Um, other judges all around all know who's on this case because they can't get anything else done. And it's clogging up other courts. Uh, and the legal community is big here, but it's not that big. We all kind of know each other and know which case is sucking up a couple dozen prominent attorneys and, and other staffers. Um, it's a very interesting critique on the DA's office as well, because we get into uh, limited assets and uh, resource allocation, um, where Fonnie Willis has this giant RICO case, the young thug, or the Trump giant RICO case. There's another big RICO gang case behind this. She's got Tex McGuire. And meanwhile, a lot of people with less prominent crimes are just sitting and they're rotting in jail. And some people so, are waiting ninety days to get a bond. Yeah, I know. I know. So let me let me ask this question. I, I know. I know this other... came up. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, it's your show, but I mean, I'm I'm a bald white guy, so I figured I could play Derek. So here's the question I <laughs> yes, would have. Derek. So here's the question I would have, and Josh is the only one here that I think can answer it. Is the irony? Is there irony in that you're prosecuting this organization? to help the community and to address the crime, but by doing something of this magnitude, what are you doing with the other crime that is not coming to a head because this is clogging everything up? Like, is there irony there? It's tremendous irony. And, you know, Bonnie Willis is a progressive-ish prosecutor. She certainly didn't run uh, on the red lines. She ran on the blue lines. Uh, and while people are really thrilled about some of our political moves, the basic operations of the office are struggling worse than ever before. There was no catch up after COVID. We have people that literally, you get arrested on a run of the mill felony. Every other county around here, we're going to get you in front of a judge who has the competency and discretion to grant a bond within you know, two weeks to a month. In, in Fulton County, no, you sit 90 days. And then the, the, hmm. the law 
forces the state to grant you a bond. It's a law, 90 days with no indictment. You're entitled to a bond no matter what. And you can go watch. It's broadcast on TV, Judge Manning. And you see the state stand and go, yep, I know Mr. Borghart um, has uh, 24 arrests and, uh, and we have not indicted him even though it's been 90 days. So you have to grant a bond. We still don't want you to. And it's totally passing the buck. And our jail, which is world famous now for its poor conditions, it's, it's as full as ever. It, it's, it's a war crime. And, and there's really legitimate criticism of Ms. Willis as to where she's allocating her resources with these big, pri prominent things versus the low ones. And that times into, and you'll hear a lot of it in the media this week, Fonnie Willis has been sending out a lot of fundraising emails where the two prominent fundraisers were in New York and D.C. And she's a Fulton County, Georgia prosecutor. You know I don't know another DA in the state that, that, that fundraises in D.C. and New York. You know, her name came up when I was talking with Cheryl McCollum because they were saying that you were saying with all the, the issues that you have with um, your legal system and getting stuff pushed through because they were even saying now that this whole Donald Trump situation it's on both sides. It's completely log jammed and already log jammed. Oh, yeah. Broken. Well, if you come now, here's the other side of it. And for, for better, not for worse, if you come after a high profile set of individuals that have the bandwidth to afford exceptionally good attorneys, and by exceptionally good, I don't necessarily mean they're the smartest. I mean, those attorneys have the, the wherewithal the resources and the and the and the engine behind them to basically fight to fight the way the system wants you to have representation but often doesn't happen well all of a sudden you know it's not it's not like winning the special olympics when there's nothing wrong with you you're having to go head to head with someone on equal footing and you know that's not always easy that is not always easy. I had a one quick thing I wanted to ask Franz that I know he told us to me a story a little while ago about your uh, your first time on Court TV when you met Michael Aiello for the first time. Yeah, yeah. So I'm on. I'm on. So I I I go to Atlanta for the first time to go on Court TV. Now look, Josh is in studio all the time. That's like he's an old. I mean, that's like Josh goes to sleep in the studio. It's, it's good. Um, so I go and I'm super amped up because uh, the powers that be are trying to angle me to go on with uh, Josh and Vinny and uh, Molly, and which is like the, it, the whole thing is awesome. And Michael, who I love, like Michael's my, my guy. My, that is the show I started on. That is my priority. I love all the, the people at Court TV, but Michael is my guy. And Michael looks at me before we go on and goes, so you're here to take my job? <laughs> and I'm like, huh? And he goes, you're here to take my job? And I'm like, no, no, I just, I just wanted to be here. I'm just happy to be here. So yeah, that was my, he was absolutely joking. And we, we, Josh and I spent, we went to dinner with Michael. It was funny. It was great. Um, but yeah, it was, it, look, I love Atlanta. Atlanta is a fun, fun town. And the area of Atlanta that the studio is located is a really fun area of town. Um, it was oh, a yeah. wonderful experience. It is a wonderful experience. It just, I and, mean, and, doing it on Skype is not the same thing. 
People think that, you know, the hosts and all these people are, are these staid. No, man, they're regular people. And no one will have you laughing as much as like Ted. Uh, Ted's chatter off camera. Oh, my God. The guy is a Michael cool as the other side of the pillow. I could just sit there and talk with him. And these are people who had been in the media for decades. So to sit there and just hear their stories and to watch them practice their art, there's a total art to appearing on television. It is not just show up and read off a teleprompter. It is highly practiced. It's a distinct skill set. And it's really cool to show up and have someone be as easy to get along with, genuine and friendly as they really are. Uh, it's one of the reasons I just love doing the core TV stuff. Everybody's really spectacular to me. What disarmed me, Derek, was everybody from the production people, the security guard, everybody was super friendly, super genuinely like the people that I had been doing stuff remotely with for, for, for six months, genuinely excited that I was there. Like I felt I, the kind of welcome that you feel at like Christmas going to a family member's house or maybe not depending on your family. It was just, it was just, it was all, it was, I was frankly like surprised. I mean, and it started like with the security guard, the makeup artist, you know, the makeup people, which yeah. Um, it almost feels like they're they're setting you up to fail. Everybody's so nice to you that it's one of those shows where you sit down and they're like, "So, frauds, let's discuss your failures." <laughs> well, hey, so that would make great TV, though. That's 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 good TV. <laughs> so, Michael, while we were there in person, I had predicted something, and I was wrong. I mean, we're like sports commentators. We can tell you who we think is going to win the football game, but we're I'm I'm the first to say, "Yeah, I was wrong about that one." And in real time, I looked at Michael and I said, well, you know, Michael, I had predicted X, Y, and Z, and I was absolutely wrong on this. I called it wrong on this. And we discussed that, not from a, yeah, not from a, Franz, you're stupid for having done that. It was more from a, you know, it was, yeah. Like, dude, if I could predict 100% certainty what was going to happen, I'd be in Vegas with the magic show. I mean... You know, when we were going back and forth on Twitter about this whole Karen Reed situation... I don't see a case as of late that is so down the middle because when we talked to, to Kirk Nurmi, he was like, innocent, 100% innocent. Yeah. And then you see a lot of other people that are either lawyers, FBI agents, stuff, they're like 100% guilty. Like, usually, it, you know, it kind of waves one way or the other. Like, but, Alex Murdoch was a complete waste of time. No, <laughs> no. And, and I'm telling you, more comes out about Alex Murdoch in the future. I. I truly believe there was a second person involved there, but we're going to talk about that later. Um, when it comes to the Karen Reed kit, Massachusetts is its own little weird country, and they treat each other very differently, and they have a very unique personality. I've known about some of these players because that's where I did undergrad, so I have friends there, so I've seen some of these stories with this turtle boy, and you know they're known, you know, adjutants in the community that are kind of well-loved because of their adjutant position. This has just blown up, though. And now there are real legitimate allegations of fraud and malfeasance within law enforcement that aren't the kind that you just dismiss. Um, there's enough meat on the bone there that I think the Reed case is going to suffer because the state refused to be so clear and transparent like they should.
refused to be honest and open about the evidence that existed and didn't exist. And that's created a space for a lot of mud to get into the water. And now it's going to be hard for a beyond a reasonable doubt story to get told. And that's a big deal. That's a high profile case. So which one do you think? Uh, do you think guilty or not guilty? I think I think there's an, a, an acquittal coming. I hope there is. I, I think that, that we do not have the appropriate truth. Uh, and I don't think that, that we ever are gonna because it's so tied up. Now, speaking, or, of, speaking of muddied waters, I know uh, Franz wanted to discuss uh, now that it seems that there's a, an increase in prosecutions for crimes of negligence. And a great example is uh, someone like uh, this most recent school shooter, uh, school shooter situation where uh, kind of nobody did anything and just didn't know what to do. I wanted to give, look, whether that officer is a, a, a coward or not, I wanted to give him a big hug because that prosecution was absolutely, I, I just, and I don't live in the community. The, the, let me take a step back. The problem I have with these negligent-based crimes where there's this gross negligence, gross deviation of, of whatever the standard of care is, is people all of a sudden leave at the at the door their sense of intervening causation. Like, like, and by that, Derek, I specifically mean the but for. Like, if the guy runs into the school shooting, does he change anything? Does he prevent all these kids from getting shot? It, and it reassesses blame from the actual shooter to somebody else. And, and again, I don't live in the community, but it's like you can't leave common sense at the door. That's a common prosecutor yeah. phrase, right? You can't, you just can't leave it at the door. And it's like when you start wanting to prosecute people for what is otherwise very good civil cases, you want to sue law enforcement for him not going in, sue him all day long. That's all what the day, yeah. courts are for. Um, I, you know, and I extend it to like Rust and Alec Baldwin. Um, that's an excellent civil case. I don't, I don't know why we have to criminally. Pro I mean, we all agree it's not an intent-based crime. He didn't want that to happen. So, and that's not even questioned. It right. <laughs> Well, you know what? You, you, you bring up an interesting point. If you stand around and do nothing, are you a coward or not? But if you run into the building, you're a hero. No question. Well, and, and it's where, where are your affirmative duties? And there's a huge difference between Josh, Joe Public, and Officer Josh. And I think that a lot of people got hung up on that. But we don't force even people in the military necessarily to go over the top into guaranteed death. Uh, it, it, you know, it, that's it's it's against human nature in some ways. And with these reckless actions or refusal to act, I think that's a really difficult bar for the state to properly carry when it's defended well. Unfortunately, because those charges so often have some sort of horrific hook, like we talk about the, the ice skater where the blade went up and hit the guy in the neck. That's going to come out as a, as a reckless action. Do I... Could he have done things a lot different? Yeah. Could he have controlled his foot? Yeah. But we're talking about split-second decisions under duress at a high rate of speed where it, 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 the recklessness, how do you send someone to prison for that for a long period of time? When there's a lack of intent, sure, it could have been done better, but it was really happenstance as much as anything else. Well, along those same lines, I know, again, Franz and I talked about this a while ago. 
uh, in the case of like a, a DUI causing death, uh, if you know, if you have no priors and all that stuff, you're looking at maybe around three to four, maybe five years. Where uh, no, you can get fifteen to twenty in Georgia in a heartbeat. Got that so, case? So vehicular homicide in Louisiana is is a mandatory minimum of a couple years to thirty. A negligent homicide, run of the mill, vanilla. Like I'm playing on my cell phone and I get into an accident and killed somebody. That's zero to five years. The negligent homicide in Louisiana is a non-crime of violence, which for your viewers means less time. The vehicular homicide, you're going to love this, Josh, vehicular homicide with alcohol or drugs, crime of violence, yeah. which yeah. means more time. Yeah. And that's because it comes out of that federal split for sentencing where the feds were having a giant argument over what the crime of violence is versus not a crime of violence. And all of the state codes went back and said, oh, the moment you put alcohol in and it results in an injury, that's going to be a crime of violence because of the intent to consume alcohol. And Derek, I'm telling you, those cases are amongst the hardest you do because, man, I had a drink like any other day. I drove my car as feeling that I was safe. And I did not mean for anything to happen. But unfortunately, a kid died. Somebody gets yeah. run over. The single car wreck the judges get worn out by those because you got to punish, but you're almost punishing just for punishment's and, sake. And often is the case that even if it's not the fault of the defendant, the car accident, the fact that they had alcohol or drugs in their system, I'm telling you, Derek, I've seen people prosecuted where they're not at fault of the accident, yep. like whether or not they were drinking or not, the accident still occurs. Right. And yet they're prosecuted because they had drugs and alcohol or alcohol in their system. You remember Derek, mo most legal systems are set up. The mere presence of an intoxicant in any amount, any is a less safe factor. And but, therefore you're on the hook for it. They, they had a case up here a little while ago that uh, just blew my mind. So. A woman goes to a music festival, drove there, got drunk, came back, uh, caused, uh, I don't know if the person died or it was, but it was, it was a bad accident. And then now she is suing the, the music festival for over-serving. Oh, yeah, Dram Act. Dram Act. Yeah. Now, you're you're that... not supposed no. to make money selling people who have been over-served. It's a so... violation of the duties that you have in getting the license to sell alcohol. So, but, but the person drove there, whether the intent to drink is there, I don't think is important, but the, you know, the, the fact of the matter is you were drunk and you got into an accident on the way home. Well, or is it, you were at the amphitheater and the amphitheater had a duty not to serve you when you were visibly intoxicated. Cause it's foreseeable that they drove there and it's foreseeable that they'll drive back. So do you remember a show called Seinfeld? No. <laughs> and the end of Seinfeld, so the end of the Seinfeld series, which was great comedy, is Jerry and the crew are arrested for failing to act. For It's a good Samaritan law, right? And they and were making, put fun, in jail. They were making fun of the guy because he was stupid looking. <laughs> yeah. They don't step in. They don't act. And because of this good Samaritan law, they, go, they get put in jail. Great comedy, right? We're all laughing at it. Now... Not doing something you maybe should have done, 
could end up. To, it's not comedy, right? It's not funny because yeah. it's happening. Um, it's happening. Worse is if you're not criminally liable for a failure to act with the advent of social media and all that, you will be culturally liable for failing to do so. You didn't run and protect that person. You didn't run and make an impact somewhere and that can create a social liability for you that is terribly unfair. And most district attorneys are elected officials, which means the social media, the political pressure that comes with a, with, from a viral response all of a sudden gets elected officials doing things that they might not ordinarily prosecute because they're concerned because they're going to get backlash for not acting. Um, you know, and, and I go back to Russ. The first iteration of Russ prosecution ended up and culminated with a dismissal. Now they may repro. I think they are reprosecuted. They, they, oh yeah, they, they're, they're, they brought it back. Yeah, and they were whiny about it too. They were like, "Oh, he has such good attorneys that are that are working hard and making us waste resources." <laughs> and remember, the first bite at the apple was totally improper. They used the wrong code. It was not even like it was a uh, it was home cooking. And then when they got burned, they're like, "All right, we're going to dismiss all this, and who knows if he'll be prosecuted again?" Lo and behold. He gets put up on charges that I think would be very challenging for any prosecutor to get a conviction on. If if not, it, take away the celebrity. Just look at the procedural history. He's been, they botched prosecuting him before, and now it looks like selective prosecution. And the defense in that case, it it's going to be real and expensive and long and difficult. But I think it's going to prevail. So I come from a place where there's not a lot of ice. And we have a hockey team. Where I come but, from. <laughs> right. So I, I do want to talk about the hockey because I'm struggling with that one. As a non-hockey fan, like I just don't watch hockey, but I understand it to be a violent sport, right? It's, it's rough. People missing teeth, all that stuff. I'm really struggling with whether or not that joker should be criminally prosecuted. Like you want to kick him out of the NHL or, or whatever league he's in. You want to kick him out. You want to penalize him. I, I'm on board with that. I just, I don't know, man. If you look back, actually, there was a case, Josh might remember it, of uh, Todd Bertuzzi. That was actually in the NHL where he, he just, I was he, gonna, whacked, he whacked a guy. That was the high stick. That was the stick guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's he, right. He just wails on him with the stick. <laughs> he just wailed on him. But then there was a whole thing, like there was obviously intent where the one Franz is talking about, that looked accidental. And again, going back to everybody saying, was there intent? Was there this? Like the bottom line is one guy hurt another guy, but you got to kind of think when you, when you sign on the dotted line in sports, there is a whole different kind of, you know, set of rules. Well, and that's, Here's we call that, that I love the risk. Yeah. Here's why I love talking about this, this case, because it really illustrates the balancing test and it illustrates how courts all about what doesn't come in. Because if the first time I tell you about that case is, hey, what do you think about this? These two guys are playing hockey, and one guy who's defending does a body check. That's normal. And then during that body check, he flips upside down, which, which is normal. And during that body check, when he's flipping upside down, his leg goes up in the air and is a freak occurrence that no one believes was intentional. It hit the guy in the neck in the right spot. 
that literally killed him. Is that a crime? And most people would turn and go, oh no, that's no, it's a something, it's horrible, it's a tragedy, it's I would sports, also say it's it's awful. And then I go, okay, what if I tell you, hey, there's a hockey game, and the number one penalized enforcer in the entire league, who is a late career journeyman, basically hired as an enforcer. And if you know about hockey, there are people that are enforcers. And he literally leads the league in penalties. And he's not playing in the NHL anymore. He's playing in the English League of whatever, B-grade B hockey, and is known to be one of the most violent people. He body checks a guy, throwing his feet up in the air and hits him in the neck and kills him. Well, th there's your intent, though. I mean, yeah, I, I guess if you... <laughs> But that's, that's for what, what motions in limine are. That's your motions in limine argument, is the state's going to say, hey, judge, I want all this shit about him being a journeyman, him being an enforcer, him leading the league in, in penalty minutes. I want all that in. And the defense goes, whoa, none of that's relevant. His job, not relevant. His prior penalties, not. And that's the argument. And at some point, the judge is going to go, well, I'm going to let it in or I'm not going to let it in. And that's what's going to really determine that case, in my opinion is how effectively the state can paint this guy as the goon that it was his job to be. Hmm. Isn't that in Canada? What kind of justice system uh, do they have up there? It's, it's UK. It's Britain. It's uh, oh, like Manchester oh. or something like that. We have the same sort of justice system. I don't know. It's a mess up. I know. As a way <laughs> code somewhere. It's a code. I do have a couple of questions here because uh, I know we're we're all rattling on, and I, I don't want to keep you guys forever. But uh, a bunch of the listeners, you guys know uh, Adrienne. I, when I said I was talking to you guys, she sent me like a book. But uh, I got a, a few other ones. Um, Debbie from South River wanted to ask, what if anything is going to happen with this whole Epstein investigation? And is there any um, information on whether they got uh, was he blackmailing any of the guests or vice versa before he died? Uh, I'm gonna let you I can tell tackle you, this one. Yeah, I, the, the, Doug, my partner, and another very dear friend of Franz. Um, Doug, Doug, we represented one of the victims in Epstein. That's how we got down to the islands. We had the Liz pendants on Little St. James, also known as Pete. Like, I know more about that case. Our office is below the FBI and next door to the Epstein lawyers. Um, so that case is a tragedy that most people won't even understand exactly how bad it got. because. In the end, lots of names and exposures are never going to come out in public. In the end, the victims that participated in this uh, victim compensation fund, I believe, got a terrible result. And I believe the victims have been betrayed by this uh, victim's compensation fund. And I think it's even more shameful because... How much money should Jeffrey Epstein's estate have left in it after the hundred plus groomed victims are done civilly suing them? Do you do you think there should be any money left? I haven't found anybody that says that he should get a windfall of roughly 50% of the value of his estate is still left. And it's going to go to his inheritors rather than the victims. And I find that to be horrifically sad um and i wish that it was different now 
at some point, a few more names are going to come out, um, but I don't think it's ever going to be what people want. And I believe that most of those names being released now would be blunted anyway, because there are so many other fresher, just as salacious scandals out there. Franz? <laughs> I'm just sitting back listening. It's going to be, so I don't think, so we live in an age where, where our courties, us, where, where true crime, you know, uh, voyeurs. I mean, it, we just, we want to watch. We want to, I like watching what's unpacking because it's interesting. Um, I don't think we're ever going to be satisfied with this one. Um, I, I think there'll be some, some more good documentaries. Uh, but it will never like as bad as we all think it was and the information we all want. I don't think we're all going to get, we're, we're not going to get that, that full bucket of chicken. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of agree with Josh and, and I just, you know, the money piece, you know, I, I wouldn't be upset if his estate got less, you know, I, I just don't know. Is there ever, well, right. But is there ever like, let's say a quarter of his estate was left. I don't know. People would be happy with that. What if 10% of his estate would be left? I mean, there's no right number, right? I mean, and we're talking about, I imagine his estate is worth what? Well, Ridiculous that was amount. some of the great questions is the disclosures. No one ever got real good exactly what was there because the large law firm that was paid to manage and not just did a, did a good job. Uh, because I know it was 200 million and 500 then 700 then no it really wasn't that no one could ever get a straight answer i know somebody bought that island i think they, i think they said it was 55 million uh, or something but the government <laughs> so why did the government get involved the case was proceeding doug figured out that he could file this thing called a liz pendants which puts a collection tag on assets so that you can't get rid of assets while you're in litigation. So Doug filed a Liz pendants. As soon as that was filed, the attorney general of the islands, which it's a small islands, it's like being in a little town surrounded by water. They found out that a Liz pendants got filed. And then that's when the attorney general went, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a very valuable piece of property that's in play. Hold on, let's get involved. Because then what happened is the state jumped in and jumped to the head of the line in front of all of the claimants. And the state's threat was, we've been damaged more than any individual. We will drain the entire estate. And then the claimant said, no, no, no. We're going to get together and do this other thing, and we will get the state paid. But the state made off real real well in that deal. Or the territory. Now, Franz brought up the word the state. Hashtag Cortes, which actually came through a few people that were asking questions. Uh, it's a Gary touchy subject, Oklahoma, man. Gary from Oklahoma asked, um, I love Josh and Franz. I'm also a Cordy. Um, I wonder which of Josh or Franz is a better lawyer. Do you have like a win-loss? Josh. Record? Josh. Who would win Josh. in a head-to-head trial? I'd, hi- I'd hire Franz in a heartbeat. So, so that begs a yeah. question that I think we can talk about is how do you measure success like how do you measure measure like like top gun academy who's the best of the best well i mean is it money is it wins is it losses because i'll tell you the system is designed for us not to be able to win and in fact 
if we're trying a case, there are some cases that just have to be tried. But if we're trying a case, sometimes things have gone terribly wrong. Because 90% of my cases in my file cabinet, 90% of my cases are resolved without a trial. It just, I don't, I mean, I may try to, Josh, I may try two or three trials in a, a year. Cu- if a that. couple cases a year is a, is a real busy trial practice. Right. Of if they're especially felt like, we're not talking traffic ticket, but like real, real cases. And you try a couple cases a year, you're doing, you're doing pretty busy, pretty busy stuff. And really what I think is important that Franz is getting to is different lawyers excel at different places with different things. I'm really good with some subject areas, but you don't want me doing a technical tear apart of an intoxilizer 9000. I got friends that can literally pull that machine apart and talk about all this. Not not me, but there are lawyers out there that I'd pay in a heartbeat. There are lawyers that do real kind of niche specific stuff. Uh, very common now are, are more guys like Jack Rice, who who almost subspecializes in sex cases, because sex cases are really their own their own flavor. And I know Franz does a lot of sex cases, and they tend to be complex, emotional, expensive. They're really good for lawyers to work on. Um, people don't oftentimes have multiple sex cases. It's generally their first big one, and it's a bet the bet the farm kind of situation. Uh, so really good for private lawyers to work on those because there's a lot of work to do. Totally different from some stuff that a public defender would be better at or where and the location. I don't know any of Franz's judges. He didn't know any of mine. He don't want me showing up in the middle of Louisiana uh, and talking a bunch of smack. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. You know, do I like focusing on certain pockets of law? Yeah, I like doing a lot of federal. I like doing sex offense cases um, because it, it's just higher stakes, higher higher fees. Um, you know, I to be God's honest truth, I live in a college town, so a lot of my my crimes that are sex offense cases are young men or women who are accused of rape, where it's not. And I say this with the utmost respect to survivors. It would be what we would call rape with a lowercase r, in the sense it's too impaired to consent, but not necessarily, you know, not like rape van pulls up, grabs the person, puts them in, you know. So those are actually, I got to be honest with you, Derek, I like representing those young men or, or women because I, you know, they're by the grace of God go I. I did a lot of stupid, stupid stuff in college and, you know, that could have just as easily been me um, in terms of impairment and all that. Um, so that some of it really is, you know, I keep coming back to while I love money, some of it really is. I just love helping people. Josh loves helping people. Jack Rice loves helping people. And that's, 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 that's really what you will see amongst better lawyers. There are lawyers that do this because it's a job and they go home and I have nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Then there are lawyers so what, who this is is not just practicing law. It's really their calling and they enjoy it. If you find lawyers like that, they really get great results because they care. And that caring is contagious. And the other side sees that you're personally invested in getting justice for your person because you believe it and you're fixing the wrong. You're addressing what's what the problem is. And that's both powerful, but but enjoyable from a professional perspective. 
Now, you just mentioned justice. And that was, we'll get to some of Adrian's questions because we'll be here all day if I have to read them all. But one of them was, uh, we'll go to Franz first. So what is justice and what does it mean to you? So again, to quote the Dark Knight, justice is balance. <laughs> it is balancing the needs of the government. It's balancing the needs of victims, survivors. It's balancing what is fair, whatever that is. And it's balancing the defendant where he or she is at the moment of the crime and where they are now. Um, and by that, I mean the person that is arrested for a crime sometimes can get help, assistance, can mitigate. And they're not the same person they were. Maybe they're sober. Maybe they've gotten treatment. Um, so real justice, and, I, and I'm not a true believer. We, we've got some court TV true believers. I'm not one of them. I could go back to being a prosecutor tomorrow. I really could. Um, real trust justice to me is that balance of, of this is a good resolution. It makes this person whole. It makes my client have an opportunity to have a future. It, it's, it's, it's this weird sense of, you know what? And when it really happens, Derek, generally the attorneys are like, yeah, okay. That, you know, that's a fair deal. That's fair. That's reasonable. Um, you know, sometimes justice is painful though. So, you know, but for, for me, if I can get a balance going on, um, and, and last thing, part of my job is to protect my client from themselves. So I have to make sure my client has reasonable expectations that we're on earth. We're not on Mars. And so you can't expect like Mars justice We're on earth. So if we get a good resolution, don't get greedy, accept that it's a good resolution. And, you know, it's not like the prosecutor is going to give you a great deal and then say, by the way, we're so sorry we prosecuted you. You're not going to get that letter of apology from the prosecutor. Um, or at least I haven't gotten that letter of apology from the prosecutor. So balance. Yeah, guess, it's all about I, balance. I kind of like the idea of sitting down with Franz and just him saying, okay, listen. I got to quote Batman, but this isn't Gotham City. <laughs> uh, that, you you got to understand, that's what makes him a great bang lawyer, though, because the ability to communicate with someone who isn't a lawyer is a woefully undertaught um, uh, important part of being a good advocate. Our clients aren't sophisticated, don't pay attention to have no idea how the process works more often than not have been told the wrong conclusions about how the system works. So making sure people understand, that helps them when it's time to make the decisions. A lot of what Franz and I do is educate and negotiate because the final decision, man, that's the clients. Um, and going back to the justice idea, it always brings up, because we get asked the question all the time, and it goes to what Franz was just saying. Justice is when both sides walk away a little bit disappointed and a little bit pissed off but it's done. Yeah, it's because not like it justice, is like big celebrations and high fives and all that. It's just both kind of like, well, that went well. It, it happens, but remember, that's justice. Justice's perspective dominated. When you see those people walking out of court high-fiving, someone won. I meant somebody else walked out was like, man, told you court system doesn't work. Told yeah. you this is all corrupt. Told you this was all crooked. And, and every single resolution, somebody's going to be disappointed and betrayed and felt like it didn't happen the right way. And that's because the cases that are more clear where we can all agree, they never get to trial. They never get to contested. Franz's best day is having a clear cut case walk in 
making sure everybody did their job right and that the resolution is exactly what it should be. And, and that's an easy case because there's nothing, nothing to try. He also makes the least amount of money on, on it. And you kind of don't feel like you're doing, you know, you're not fighting for a lot of stuff necessarily. So Derek. Yeah. I will tell you the number one question I get asked when people find out I'm a criminal defense attorney. And I suspect Josh gets asked this question is how, how do you, what's it like representing guilty people? What's it, how do you sleep at night? And they don't mean it ugly. Well, some of them do. How yeah, do you represent guilty do. people? <laughs> how, how do you sleep at night? And my answer is always the same. Representing guilty people is easy. It's when I represent someone I truly in my heart of hearts believe is innocent. That's what keeps me up at night. Because I don't want an innocent person going to jail, getting convicted, having their life ruined. I don't want them going through what they're going through. Because be not mistaken, being a defendant in a criminal prosecution is a very traumatic experience. It's stressful. It's expensive. It's traumatic. And yeah, some people put themselves in that position. But if you're accused of something you didn't do, you didn't necessarily put yourself in that position. So representing people that are innocent is where it's difficult for me. Representing somebody that I know did it. I mean, I've represented a serial killer. I didn't lose any sleep over that. The system did what the system did what it was supposed to do. I fought hard. He was convicted. He went to jail for the rest of his life in Angola, Louisiana. Next. I mean, that's. uh, And and I'll I'll just add my little twist on that. For me, I'm exactly hand in hand with Franz. The harder part being. When your client's just a little bit guilty and the state wants to punish him like he's a lot guilty because then you get stuck with, listen, I know we did it, but we didn't do it. Go to prison for 10 years. We did it. Let's go to prison for six months and take some classes and be on parole or probation because he ain't going to do it again because he doesn't have any priors. And, And unfortunately, the way that the system is designed for plea bargaining is the state comes at you with a hammer in their hand. It's like, no, if he wants to avoid the threat of 40 years, he's going to consider taking 10 or 15 right now. The giant murder case that we're going with another good friend and colleague of Franz, Kyle Kester, we're down to everything being sorted out. It is a year-plus-long horrific murder-suicide, attempted suicide, horrific case. The only difference is the actual formal charge Voluntary versus involuntary, and about two years of service is up in the air. And the question is now, can we come together on those two issues, or are we actually going to go to trial, consume enormous resources, huge fight, giant risk, when we could just solve it? And our job as lawyers is to put the state and the court in a very uncomfortable position where they see all of this future asset misuse, but they can make it all go away if they give us just what we want. Is it really important? The difference. And we're literally talking about saving tons of time and money and stress and everything else. I just wanted to throw in that uh, I know I talk with Kyle Coaster all the time. He does not look like a lawyer. (laughs) Football player. Football player. Okay, uh, one last question, and then I know we're running a little bit long here. You guys probably have some paid work you'd like to go do rather than sit here and ride along with me for free. But uh, last we, question. We can do this every week. If you want to set this up literally like on like, like a weekly, like, hey, 
every Tuesday at four, I talk with Franz and Josh for an hour. Do you know, we, we do you know what's it. funny? I have three pages of questions. I haven't even gotten through the first one yet, just because you guys are a hoot to listen to. I can I can see why you're so popular on television. And that was actually the, my, my dad. My dad had sex with all those owls. That's sorry. <laughs> my uh, another question from Adrian was, uh, "What do you guys like the most about going on TV?" Bronze. What do I like most about being on court TV? Um, that I'm talking about cases that are not mine, so I can be really, really honest, really straightforward. I don't have a dog in in the hunt of any of the cases. Um, I don't really have to, generally I can give an honest opinion and I don't really get a lot of backlash, uh, for my honest opinion. And look, some of the guys that get covered on court TV are really, really bad, monstrous people. And okay. Um, I, I like that. I like that. It's a, it's, it's, I feel like I'm the football player that, that I got to be now the guy on college game day talking about who's going to win the game. That, that to me is what I like. And that is something, what you're going to find with a lot of good trial attorneys is we like talking about like, hey, you're going to try what? That sounds interesting. You know, or hey, you're going to do what? I don't know if I would do that if I were you. And, and, and vetting ideas and thoughts. And I get to do that on a weekly basis now, um, which is a lot yeah. of fun. You, you understand, if, if Franz and I were sitting at the coffee house We'd probably be having ninety percent of the same conversation. It might be a little bit more um, uh, uh, hilariously inappropriate, but <laughs> this is what we legitimately like doing. The joy of practicing law, in some ways, you, you get to follow something that hopefully you love, and it's really interesting. To I mean, it's like if you were a car person, you got to work in car racing, or you know, it, it's a dream job. I love court TV because specifically, like Pran said ain't my case, ain't my client. I know all about it and I get to talk about it with other people who really like this stuff, but it's not my client. I can put off an opinion that I feel is just an opinion without having to triple check and vet and shepherdize the case. Um, and I, it's the quietest time of my day because no one can interrupt me when I'm on TV. Not my, my, phone. my problem. <laughs> well, it's not just that. It's, 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 Everybody knows I'm on TV, phone's off, you're not getting me. It, it is a very, really, I, I relish the time. I get one-on-one -on -one conversations, um, not a peppered with dozens of people all asking for stuff at the same time. Like, I'm pretty certain Franz and I are going to hang up off of this. I've got my next Zoom already ready. You see the shadows going back forth my door. I know there are people showing up here to ask me questions. Um, this is kind of the relaxing part of the day. I'm going to let you both get back to work, but I do. I have a ton of more stuff. So hopefully at some point we can do this again because I know. Part I, two. Put it on the regular. Put it on the regular. Not, Seriously. It's funny. The first time when I was texting back and forth with Franz, I was like, uh, something about, uh, did you guys love Jake and the Fat Man or Matlock? And I was like, let's see you pick, text me a picture of yourself in a white suit with your left hand. Within uh, 30 seconds, he sent me a picture with a. Of him with a phone in his left hand wearing a white suit. <laughs> the, the quote we have here is from The Simpsons. And when Krusty's lawyer, who was in the Caribbean wearing the linen, oh, crap, we're not supposed to talk about that particular secret client. That's, that's really kind of the dream. All linen. All right. All right I'm getting well, yelled at about this Zoom. Um, let's set it up. Let's do it on the regular. 
Yes, uh, but you, listen, you could probably write a book with all the information we got today because I know I'm blown away. But if you guys want some more Joshua Schiffer, follow him on Twitter at Lawyer Schiff. Watch him on TV almost every day. And if you need some legal help in Georgia, visit www.jdgrouplaw.com. Or maybe you're in Louisiana and you either like Franz Borghardt or also need a lawyer. In either case, definitely follow him on Twitter at Borghardt Law. Listen to him on Talk 107.3 in the morning in Baton Rouge. Well, again, watch him on TV or reach out to him at www.borghartlawfirm.com. Guys, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you. Love this. Thanks so much, Derek. Franz, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Have a good day, fellas.